Welcome to today's episode. We're calling this one Obsessions. Rishi is going to talk about his weight loss journey that led to him running a half marathon. And Naveen is going to talk about his current obsession with fountain pens and the subculture of enthusiasts and collectors. Hello and welcome to the Bantaman. We are Naveen and Rishi, just two guys talking about things that interest us, mostly to amuse one another and occasionally to learn something. We'll do this in conversation with each other and maybe some friends. These will be freewheeling conversations about things that interest and fascinate us. Each of us draws on our hobbies and interests and the other takes more of a curious person role. We take turns being Socrates and Plato if you want to be highfalutin about it. Right, so Naveen, here we go. All right, Rishi, so tell us about your fitness journey. Uh, all right, okay, thank you, Naveen. Um, my fitness journey is only my latest obsession. So obviously the reason we are talking about it today is because this is something that I've been engaged in uh, easily for the past two years. Um, and it's been an obsession in the sense that it's pretty much changed my life, uh, the way I live. Um, and it's actually, if, if you want to be really uh, specific about it, it's two different steps on the journey that I'll cover today. Uh, the first step was just me losing a ton of weight, uh, not literally a ton, I lost 12 kilos. Um, and then the other is I used that as the platform to launch myself and go run a half marathon uh, effectively. So before we, before we get into the meat of the story, uh, a disclaimer, I am not a health professional, I am not a doctor. Um, I'm just telling you a very personal experience from a very personal perspective in the hope that this is something that might interest people and help them out. Um, so, you know, take everything I say with a grain of salt, may not work for you. Um, the other bit I'll add is some contextual information. So I am a 39-year-old, almost 40-year-old Indian male um, uh, and I'm uh, sort of somebody that had reached uh, about 86 kilos, or that's I guess around 170, 180 pounds uh, of body weight. Uh, needed to lose some weight and I ended up losing 12 kilos or about 25 pounds. Uh, so that's step one. I'm not a very competitive runner, but I, yeah, I did end up running a half marathon starting from, as they say, the couch because I was not really a runner before this. Uh, so I'll, I'll cover both of those. Um, the, the story really begins in uh, January of 2018. Um, and it, it begins with a dear friend and colleague of mine who was pretty much put on notice by his doctors. And he came to uh, work one day and basically said, my doctor says I've, I've got to lose a tough weight and boys, I need your help to do it. Um, so this gang of five or six people who uh, are all colleagues and friends of mine, we all hang out together all the time. Uh, we decided, all right, we've, you know, we've got to help this guy uh, get to his target weight. Um, and so we 
did something that a couple of other guys had done before in the workplace. Um, and we started up a weight loss challenge. So, you know, the, the what set it apart, I mean, obviously I have attempted this before and I wasn't obese or anything, I was just overweight. Um, but what set it apart this time is, A, I had a group of friends helping me along. B, uh, there was absolutely nothing that you could do to cheat on this. We were all using the same weighing scale in our office gym. Uh, we all kept tabs on each other. And I mean, these are people you hang out with five days a week without fail. Anyway, so, you know, there's, there's no fooling them. If you're losing weight, they'll notice. If you're not, they'll notice. And then we put money where our mouths were. So uh, each of us put down 2,000 rupees into an ante or a, a pot. Uh, the understanding being whoever at the end of this four-month period that we ran the challenge for, whoever lost the most body weight percentage-wise um, uh, would be the winner and would take home the pot. So uh, that was how it started out. And uh, it was really interesting because I had never done scientifically driven weight loss before. And as anybody will tell you, if you go on the internet, there's more advisors there than practitioners, uh, to be honest. And you'll, you'll find all kinds of fancy stuff. You'll find uh, the Atkins diet. You'll find the keto diet. You'll find the paleo diet and then whatnot. And then all kinds of yoga and, uh, you know, uh, what's it called? Pilates and all kinds of exercise regimes. Um, what, what I and my group of friends ended up doing was essentially a low-carb diet. So for those four months... Uh, I had three or four very simple rules. Uh, I did not eat any packaged foods. So if you have to open a wrapper to eat it, you're not eating it. Uh, I did not eat any sugar. So absolutely no processed sugar. Uh, and that included that old enemy of all diets, um, corn syrup. So, you know, all the ice creams and sodas and uh, jellies and desserts were strictly off limits. I even stopped taking sugar in my daily coffee. And I'm a bit of a coffee nut, as anybody will tell you. Um, so that was on the sort of intake side. Um, and initially, to be honest, that was about it. But then what, what turned this idle thought to help out a friend, to give him some company in his weight loss journey... Uh, what turned it into an obsession for me was data. So we are living in this really wondrous age right now where you can wear something on your wrist and get data about your sleep patterns, your body mass index, your obviously, you know, with a smart weighing scale, your weight, and you can sync it up to all to the cloud and you can share it with friends and whatnot. Um, and I've always been a data hound. I've always been somebody that is driven by data um, and I turned that full power of my obsessive, slightly obsessive personality uh, towards the weight loss challenge. Uh, so what I did was I actually designed and put up an Excel spreadsheet that uh, we, well, I say Excel spreadsheet, it was a Google Drive sheet, uh, part of the Google Office suite and uh, what we could do on there was we could all go in and enter our weight on a weekly basis. The sheet would do a lot of calculating for you, show you your BMI, show you your body fat percentage, and it evolved, right? So we had four months to do this. And uh, like I said, I'm a bit of a data hound. So, you know, I just got into it, figured out all kinds of 
statistics to embellish. Um, and before you know it, you know, we're, we're all competitive buggers um, and it just turned into a proper contest. It was daily calorie counts below 1500, uh, where my normal day would be about 2000 calorie intake. Uh, absolutely no junk food. We were constantly checking each other. Um, these are most of the guys that I'd go out for a beer with. So we would all go out for an office do and everybody's ordering uh, fresh lime sodas with salt, please. Uh, much to the chagrin of uh, our other colleagues, who, who obviously thought it was a new start. Um, but then something fantastic happened. In the first four weeks, I rapidly lost something like five kilos and my um, clothes were loose fitting all of a sudden. Um, and it was very gratifying, right? So it, it's that, that we almost set up that positive cycle of you're doing something obsessively, here's the reward and it's right there. Except then as any weight loss um, uh, journey will tell you, uh, you hit a plateau and I did. And uh, a little more contextual information, uh, I suppose I am a geek and have never been a jock. Um, I do not do sports. Uh, sports is what you put on the TV when you have an interesting podcast to listen to. <laughs> Uh, so that other people don't bother you. Um, and I just have never been a very physically active person. So when I hit that plateau, um, all the literature on the web was telling me, right, now you've, you've reached a point where your body has lost what weight it could by restricting the intake. If you want to lose more weight, you've got to push your body by increasing the output. Now, so which means you've got to burn calories. It's not just enough to restrict what you're eating. You've now got to go and burn what you have already eaten. Gym doesn't work for me. Uh, my fondest and only memories of gym are various day one memories where I would either go pay the gym membership and never go back or uh, go work out too much, puke and never go back. <laughs> so gym's just not for me and a bunch of my friends started to start doing that. But then I realized um, I do quite like contemplation and going on long walks. So I said, all right, brisk walking for 45 minutes every day is what cardiologists recommend for a man my age and all of that. So I said, okay, screw that. I'm not gonna walk, I'm gonna run. Um, started jogging. And again, you know, it was sort of similar to the weight loss thing. I realized, hang on a minute, if you go for a run, even if you're not very good about it, all these sensors and apps and cloud applications actually give you a shed load of data to work with. And then you can constantly try to better yourself. So I just started running around. I live in a gated community in a city in India, um, which has a really nice sort of enclosed track that I can use. Uh, so I just started running around that. And, you know, it was that classic case of initially, day one, I probably overdid it. But then day two onwards, I knew my limits and gradually increased the distances I was running. Uh, initially, it was an interspersal of walking and running, then it turned to running. And then um, a funny thing happened. Uh, 
yes, the data was driving me on, uh, but I started to lose weight again. Very soon, I was up the, at the top of the charts. So, irritatingly for him, the guy that had inspired us all to get into the weight loss challenge, uh, who weighed upwards of 125 kilos at the time, or nearly 270 pounds, um, he was losing more absolute weight than me. But because his denominator was high, he was losing less percentage weight than me. So then he and I got into this sort of, you know, all very friendly, but back and forth, ribbing each other out, hey, I'm at the top of the chart this week, uh, kind of thing. Uh, he started walking and running as well. Um, and being at the top of the charts in a physical sport-like activity slash anything to do with the physical realm, honestly, was a brand new experience for me. So that reinforced me. I started to get a lot of data about my running and it, it really is a rabbit hole you can drop down. There's all kinds of data you can get about number of steps you take per minute, what your heart rate is at any point during the run, uh, the, obviously the distance you run, how much of it you spent running instead of walking. And all of these are things that you can optimize for. Um, so I started doing that and got reasonably good uh, uh, at the running in that I could run 5-10 kilometers without being out of breath, without sort of, you know, completely collapsing. Uh, that took about a couple of months. Now at this point, the weight loss challenge actually ended. Um, so, so you're about six months in at this point? Four months, four months. Four months in, okay. Uh, we, we started the weight loss uh, challenge on the 1st of February of 2018 and we finished it at the beginning of June. So it's February, March, April, May. Right. Uh, about uh, 125 days or something like that. And by this time, how much weight had so you lost? By this time, uh, I had actually lost about 12 kilos on a 85 or 86 kilo denominator. So that was about 14%, 14, 15% of body weight. Uh, my friend who came second in the weight loss challenge um, actually lost more weight than me. But like I said, his denominator was higher. So he was at 11% or something. But, uh, you know, what we realized at that point was, well, one thing is I realized coffee tastes better without sugar. <laughs> so I still do not uh, put any sugar in my coffee. Um, the other thing I realized was all those benefits that people back eloquent about, um, about fitness journeys on the web, they're all real. You know, to, to quote Han Solo, it's real, all of it. The Jedi, the Sith, everything. Um, so it... it it actually just became a way of life from that point on, right? I would actively dislike stuff that I used to love before. Like a, you put a can of Coke in front of me and I had a physical reaction to it. Um, without counting calories, I was calorie count conscious uh, all of a sudden. And so I said, you know what? Weight loss challenge be damned. Fine, I don't want to lose more weight. So I definitely stopped starving myself. I went above 1500 calories a day of intake. Uh, and I started to eat a few goodies that I had denied myself before. But I realized I can actually keep up the running bit because I'm an early riser. Um, I have no problem waking up at 6 a.m. Um, and once you're up, you have that golden two hours before the world is really up and about that are completely yours. So why not spend half hour, 40 minutes running. 
Um, and then I did something in, in June, we had a uh, heritage marathon uh, happening in uh, my city of Hyderabad, uh, which was going to run past some really scenic sort of heritage uh, icons in the city. Uh, this is part of the Go Heritage Runs. So I said, oh, what the hell, I'll, I'll sign up for it. So I signed up to run a 10K, went running, and um, for, for context, most people can easily run a 10K in about an hour and 10 minutes. The really great runners, they run a 10K in about 30 minutes or so. Um, and then uh, my goal going into this 10K was, I'm going to run within an hour and 15 minutes, something like that, which was what I'd done before. I was running 10Ks reasonably regularly by this point. Uh, so by this point, uh, where you, you were running every day, but uh, can you tell, talk a little bit about what you were doing actually? I mean, were you with a group of people? Were you on your own? Right. So, uh, no, at this point, it was all on my own. I was still a solo runner. Um, and we'll, we'll come back to that in a bit. But um, what I would do was really, I, I just, you know, I'd, I'd done the usual thing of going on online forums, reading runnersworld.com and reading all these articles and advice. And uh, I'd actually used a app called Endomondo. So I sunk some money into it, bought their premium membership. And what this app does, as do several others, I mean, Strava is the most popular runners app out there. Um, Endomondo gives you a training plan where you can say, right, I, I can run four times a week, which is what I've done. And I want to be able to run a 5K. And you can set some time goals, distance goals, whatever you like. Uh, and it gives you a fairly scientific plan that doesn't tire you out, doesn't, doesn't have you overdoing it. So I started following their plan religiously. So at this point, I was running four days a week. No additional physical exercise or anything outside of that training plan. And uh, I got to a point where I could very easily run a 5K in 30 minutes or under 30 minutes. Running a 10K, it would take me an hour and 10 minutes, something like that. So I was happy. And I signed up for this Go Heritage Run in June. So I think it was on the 26th of June, 2018. I show up early in the morning at uh, this heritage site in Hyderabad. And we're going to run past the historic Golconda Fort and all of that. 5.30 a.m. I'm there, I'm dressed in my ASICS shoes, which I bought based on uh, knowing that my uh, foot overpronates when I run. Uh, Google it, not, not going to go down that rabbit hole. Uh, but yeah, I'd, I'd done as much as I could, as scientifically as I could to get to that point. And I was not ready for the thrill of A, running with about a thousand other people. It was a small run. Um, the exhilaration you get when there are people cheering you on as you run. Running a route that I thought was steep, but actually finding, because I've been training for this for four months, it's not that bad, it's all right. Um, and when I finished, although this wasn't a timed run, I actually got a personal best because I finished the course in about 15 minutes. And that was a revelation to me as well because I had, until that point, not really tried to push myself. Um, and I realized I got caught up in the moment. I finished the race. They gave me a really nice medal. Um, the bling helped. And it's, it's at this point that you figure out that, you know, for all your civilization and for all your highfalutin ideas about yourself, 
you really are just a name. And getting shiny shit at the end of a run inspires you. And that day what I realized was, as I was running, I actually saw a ton of people running there and we all wear, wore the t-shirt that they've given us. Um, I'd seen them running in my area. A lot of those faces were familiar because they ran around the same times as me. And so after that first run of running a 10k in under an hour, I discovered, hang on a minute, there's a whole support structure, a whole community around me of runners, a subculture, if you will, um, of frankly, people that are much more obsessive about this than I am, that I haven't been leveraging. I haven't been kind of putting good use. Um, and so then I started doing that. I, you know, you like with any subculture, you get into that subculture and you're what the kids call a noob. Uh, you think you know what you've been up to all this time. But when I, when I went into this and... Um, I, I hooked up with uh, Headbird's uh, Sarovar Runners, uh, which is the running group that I'm a part of. And I realized, hang on a minute, these are very welcoming people. But these are also people that know their shit. Uh, these are people that actually know running better than I do. Um, moment of humility there. But you realize there are people that are older than you that are running half marathons. There are, and, and I know this you know, comes out bad, but there are Ladies that are much older than you that run better than you can ever hope to run and who run full marathons and run ultra marathons, which is 50 kilometers at a time. Um, and then you just have to say, all right, you know what? I'm just going to soak it in. I am going to take your advice. But essentially what you realized was whatever you've been doing alone all this while, you had literally been surrounded by all these people. Exactly. Yeah. And then... Um, well, A, I'd been surrounded by these people and not uh, uh, not met with them, not taken their advice, not leveraged them. But B, I also had an overinflated image of how good I was, to be honest. Um, and, and it helps, right? So when you find out, so for example, you know, I, I come from a really small town and I was a big effing deal in that town because I was a smart kid that went to all the trivias, uh, trivia contests and quizzes and whatnot. And then you move to a bigger city or you, you know, join a multinational firm and you realize, hang on, actually, there are, you know, better people out there. And that's not a bad thing. That challenges you to better yourself, uh, which is exactly what happened with me. And thankfully, the, the Sarovar runners are really welcoming. They were really um, understanding and immediately sort of put me right on a number of things I've been doing wrong. And then uh, I remember this vividly, there, uh, there's a really beautiful agricultural research institute uh, called ICRISA uh, in, uh, in Hedberg, the city I live in. And every December, they do a run. They literally go running through fields of experimental crops and it's nice and cold, slightly foggy, misty. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful run. So my uh, running group friends got me to sign up for that run and I went and obsessive that I was, I had started now training for a half marathon because guess what? There were people that were uh, out there that were better than me. 
this cannot stand. <laughs> uh, so, uh, went to the Kusat run, we showed up there. This is, by the way, now we reach sort of December, November, December of 2018. Went for the Ikrasat run and the Ikrasat run was really interesting. They didn't have a marked course. They're a huge campus and they basically said, right, so depending on how much you want to run, you can run 32K, you can run a half marathon, you can run a 10K, you can run whatever the heck you want. I said, all right. And I'm standing there with a group of my uh, running group friends. And somebody asked me, so how much do you think you're going to do today? I said, oh, well, you know, I don't think my legs are up to uh, uh, running a half marathon, which is 21.2 kilometers. So instead of that, uh, how about I'll just start running and maybe stop at about 15, 16, 17, uh, something like that. And uh, what... This this blew my mind, right? Because you end up with some real sages in these running groups. So my own personal sage that day was a chap called Alok, hi Alok, if you're listening, um, who puts a hand on my shoulder, leans over, and goes, mate, you don't run with your legs, you run with your mind. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, right? I mean, my own <laughs> master Yoda. Uh, so I went, all right, well, all right, uh, you know what? Fine, I am gonna run a half marathon. Uh, started running, paced myself, didn't really try to do anything too adventurous, and it was a nice, jolly sort of family run. There are kids aged five running 3K and 5K, and there's sort of nonagenarians, I kid you not, that are running a half marathon, all, all there together. But it's not competitive, there's no medal. Uh, when you sign up for this run, the prize at the end is they let you buy two loaves of their famous banana bread. <laughs> Uh, so uh, I went, all right, let's let's do this. And before I know it, I have run a half marathon in about two hours and 17 minutes, which my friends tell me is very good. So I signed up for a 10K for uh, a Hyderabad runners event that happens in every February called the Club Run. It's their premier timed event. So I upgraded to a half marathon. Um, and, you know, I wish I could say the rest is history, but... It's not. Uh, I actually fell off the wagon because after that Ikrisat run, I don't know what happened. It was seasonal affective disorder, you know, whatever it was. I, I didn't really run too much in January. Showed up for the February club run. So I've signed up for a half marathon. I've crowed about it to all the world and said, I am going to run a half marathon. And I wasn't ready for it. But anyway, you know, showed up at another sort of 5.30 a.m., uh, rendezvous. Uh, this time the club run was in the Hyderabad Central University campus, another beautiful sort of tree-lined affair. Um, and I ran. And about an hour and a half in, I realized my lack of training is starting to show because I'm fatigued. So I'd gone about 14 kilometers in an hour and a half, which was slightly under what I wanted to target. And then the fatigue just hit, right? Because running, like weight loss, is a thing that you can't bullshit on. Um, I just wasn't ready. I hadn't done the work. I had not done the training. And pretty much ended up walking the last two kilometers. Ended up with a time of two hours, 46 minutes. The guys that I had cartooned with were wondering where I was because almost all the world had finished by that point. I reached the... Uh, the, the finish line, I got my medal, 
fine, you know, very quickly. And then the cramping hit because I had not paid attention to how I was hydrating myself. I had not paid attention to my fitness level. And I got the worst post-run experience of my life that day. Um, you know, it was sort of insult upon injury because, actually it was injury upon injury <laughs> because uh, I missed all my running time targets. Um, and then I had this miserable thing where uh, I got hot flashes, I had to get a cold compress, I had to drink a lot of water, puked it out. Somebody else drove me home, although I had driven them there. Um, terrible experience. But then, again, my my friends and my running mates kind of got me to recover from that. And I signed up again for several other half maths and stuff like that. Um, so, you know, instead of ending my story on a big victorious note of, hey, I ran a half marathon, I, I think I'll, I'll leave it there. Just to say, the obsession carries you some of the way. But then the obsession has to be replaced with discipline. Um, and if you don't do the work, please, please, please take care of yourself. Don't do what I did and kind of sign up to do more than you're ready for. Um, but yeah, you know, no regrets because uh, we I've, I've brought the story up to sort of February of 2019 now. Uh, what happened after that was I went back to basics. I signed up for another training plan. I ran with my crew consistently trained up and uh, in sort of June uh, of uh, uh, 2019, uh, I went for a training run again in the Hyderabad campus, again run by Hyderabad runners, not a timed event, no medal at the end. Uh, but this time I latched myself on to another Yoda, uh, Prasanna. Uh, who is also part of Sarovananas, who sort of took it on himself to run with me that day and said, uh, so what's your goal? I said, 210. Uh, that's 2 hours and 10 minutes for a 21.2 kilometer distance, which is above average, but not stellar. Um, and so he goes, all right, well, I've seen you run. I think you can run in two hours. And this is a chap that does one hour 40 minutes. So I went, oh, that sounds tough. He said, all right, you know what? I'll run with you. I'll keep pace. Uh, just follow my advice and uh, we'll, we'll run. Uh, I said, all right. Started the run. And he was running at a pretty brisk pace. So he was doing five minutes, 30 seconds per kilometer, where my usual pace is about six minutes per kilometer. And 30 seconds doesn't sound like a lot, but take it from me, it is. Um, he started. But then the, the big differentiator this time was he was actually telling me, right, there's a, there's a help station coming up. Let's bring some water here. The help station coming up. Uh, let's bring some, uh, uh, you know, the energy supplement in uh, sort of glucon D or something. Let's, let's drink that. Um, you've reached a 40 minute mark, right? This is the time when you can take an energy gel packet, which is like a toothpaste sachet size thing, you know, 20 milliliters of uh, glucose gel that just gives you a lot of nutrients. And the revelation to me that day was uh, your body as an IO machine, right? Um, you never think of it that way, but both my weight loss journey and my running journey have shown me that it very much is an IO machine. And it's an IO machine that operates in real time. So when I was fatigued at the 40 minute mark on this run with Prasanna, um, I realized as soon as I took the gel, 
it's literally like a cartoon, you know, when Popeye eats spinach and you feel the <laughs> lump appear in the bicep. Uh, it was pretty much like that. I, I could feel it go down. I could feel it energize me and I could keep that pace. Not going to lie, the last two kilometers were difficult for me to keep that pace. But I had Prasanna alongside me kind of coaxing, come on, come on, you know, you've got X meters to go, come on, you can do this. All right, fine, just, you know, walk five steps, but let's go, let's go, let's go. I made it in one hour, 59 minutes. Oh, wow. Mostly thanks to Prasanna, uh, but I mean, I never thought I could do it, right? I suppose the big takeaway for me, um, and because we are talking about obsessions, is both the weight loss journey and the running journey are very positive obsessions. I have seen people take it too far, but generally it's difficult to take them too far, very few people do. Um, there's huge benefits to you from a lifestyle perspective. And what I realized is the obsession alone is not enough because obsessions wane. You sometimes don't know where they came out of and grabbed you. Sometimes it's as casual as your friend uh, wants to lose some weight and asks you. Um, but to really deliver on their benefits, you do need discipline eventually. And you need to consciously sign up for these things and uh, do them. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's been two great obsessions. Um, just to finish my tale, I'll, I'll give you one other snippet. My friend inspired me, uh, Adi, who is out there and will probably listen to this. Um, he inspired me to lose weight. He lost more weight than I did. He's still losing weight. But I like to think I inspired him to run. Um, he just last Sunday, um, and this is we are taping this in late December, he ran a 10K in an hour and 15 minutes. Uh, for him, it's not a personal best, but it's one of the better runs he's been on. And now he's inspiring me to get back into regularly running because I've been on a bit of a break. So, you know, the positive reinforcement continues and may our obsession live long. Brilliant. So, there we have it. Uh, Rishi's obsession with weight loss and running. Thank you for the patient listening. So, Thank you, Rishi, for that story. All right. We'll be right back after a quick break. Alright, so let's launch into this episode's diversion from Naveen. Naveen, what do you have for us? Alright, I have for us today uh, the Namisu fountain pen that uh, you actually carried for me from yes. London, right? Yes, I did. Um, so this this is a fountain pen with a story. Uh, this comes from a, uh, a company called Namisu, which is based in the UK. And these guys uh, did a Kickstarter last year for a very pretty fountain pen. Um, and then this year they had some leftovers from the Kickstarter and mm. that went on sale. And so I pretty much got this pen for about half of what you would normally expect to pay for it. Okay. Um, it's, it's still not cheap, but it's by no means uh, very expensive. So this, the pen that I got is, uh, it's called an Ixion. That's the name of the model. Mm -hmm. And uh, I got the blue one with the uh, brass uh, finials and uh, section. 
So uh, you can see it's a really pretty pen. Uh, I really like pens that are uh, not too thick, not too thin, and uh, which sit heavily in my hand. This is a heavy pen. It's more than forty uh, grams. So uh, it's it's brilliant to write with, and I uh, really like it. So I'm going to share pictures of this as well. So that's my diversion for today. Excellent. Thank you. And uh, I note that you didn't say how much it cost, but. I'm sure we'll get to it in your main segment. <laughs> Maybe we will. Maybe we won't. Thank you for giving us a listen. We are the Bantaman, Naveen and Rishi. Do check out our website bantaman.com. We are available on your favorite podcasting platform and would really appreciate a like. Do subscribe if we've managed to intrigue you and please leave a rating and a review or more importantly your thoughts on anything we've discussed here today. We await your feedback and are happy to take any questions or ideas for future episodes. Right, welcome back from the break and now Naveen is going to talk about his obsession of choice fountain pens over to you Naveen Thank you Rishi um my current obsession is with the fountain pens Fountain pens is a perfectly legitimate obsession to have uh, seeing as how there are thousands of us out there um, but I've always found it strange because uh, if like me you grew up in india in the 1980s uh fountain pens were a very unforgettable forgettable part of your childhood because from classes 4 uh, to class 10 uh, it was mandatory to write with them you could not write with any other writing instrument and if you went to school daily with a fountain pen or two and uh, dealt with ink everywhere on your fingers in your on your face on your clothes um yeah it's not something that you recall recall fondly right it's like a it's like a necessary evil part of uh, childhood um but then we also learned all the basic skills of dealing with fountain pens when we were in school um essentially how you had to clean them how you had to take care of them you can't drop them on their nibs and if you did yes you would get a walloping from your parents all of that right uh so that was that was childhood for a lot of us like uh, we grew up with inky fingers and uh, using a fountain pen was something that was yeah that was a school thing and you're not necessarily were not very proud of whatever you did there um so recently i rediscovered this whole thing uh, mm. uh well not recently well 5 years ago um there was i found some on sale and i picked up a few really nice ones for cheap and uh, I used to keep them on my uh, desk at work. Uh now I I have this habit of carrying around a notebook when I go to meetings and taking notes mm-hmm. and then I started doing that with a fountain pen. And uh it was pretty cool because uh I got two uh good things out of it. One was uh it actually made me write better. My handwriting was a lot more decipherable right. um when I used a fountain pen. And the second thing was uh it was almost always a conversation starter 
anybody who was uh, in a meeting would come up to me at the end of it would and would say hey that's a cool thing you have there uh, and then we would get started talking about that so that's how this whole uh, thing got kind of revived a few years ago mm. but then it, that's all it was it was quite passive at that point i really liked the few fountain pens i had i had maybe a couple of bottles of ink uh, nothing fancy your uh, camlin or quink from the local uh, stationery store they would be on my desk i would give my pens a cleaning maybe once every week um, refill the ink and all of that but that was about it there mm. wasn't uh, much more to it so they remained what they were very uh, utilitarian um, you know utensils and then about a year ago i uh, fell down this crazy rabbit hole uh, I became part of a couple of uh, groups uh, which are uh, fountain pen groups and then I discovered uh, that there are some Indian manufacturers of fountain pens which is uh, um, I mean we always knew you know your Camlin and your Natraj which we used at school they were straightforward utilitarian things that were not necessarily very long lasting uh, they did their job probably lasted about a year or two and then you would get new ones that was about it right um but then there are these really really uh, specialized uh, makers of uh, pens in india uh, and who been around for a really long time as well uh, i've uh, ever since i got into the hobby i've been like collecting indian pens i have a fair collection right now um right here in hyderabad we have uh, deccan pens which is uh, known very well for their pens which they make out of ebonite another word uh very closely associated with fountain pens ebonite is actually uh, hard hardened rubber it's oh, okay. vulcanized super vulcanized rubber that's all it is apparently the reason why it's used in fountain pens is because it was one of the first uh materials that could be uh used to make a fountain pen that was also ink proof i guess mm-hmm. uh, and it's kind of a legacy that it's still used by uh, some makers to uh, make in spite of the fact that we have very advanced materials now with the uh, acrylic and uh, with metal and wood and all of those but uh, yeah the fancy ones always make it out of ebonite uh, so that's that's what happened recently when i started uh, doing this right um and now this is not just uh, fountain pens fountain pens is like just the name given to like the superset of uh, combined interests because there are many components to this thing uh, obviously you have the fountain pens themselves uh, which also then they are uh, broken down into their uh, components right you have different types of nibs that they come with you have different types of feeds which Ooh. feed ink to the nibs and then you have um, different sections different bodies different types of uh how you carry the ink in the pen you have the eye droppers those were the ones which we used while we were in school where you yes. literally filled up the barrel of the pen with an eye dropper and then you have cartridge pens now then you have cartridge converters which essentially is fits like a cartridge but you use it either like a syringe to oh, okay. uh, you know fill fill up ink so there's a whole bunch of things that that's just the fountain pen and then of course there is a whole world of inks of fountain pen inks not all inks are created equal so um there are ink manufacturers the japanese inks are like the fanciest but then you also have a bunch of european inks competing for that uh there are people from all over the world who make specialized inks and we have a uh, few indian inks that are also uh, they hold their own as well 
and then the third component to this whole thing <laughs> is uh, notebooks or paper right. right like you get fountain pen friendly paper it means that when you write on the paper it should not feather it should not bleed it should not show through these are the things i'm not going to go into the details of what each of that is but these are the things that make a paper fountain pen friendly so i i assume that on any of the keywords that you've mentioned a google search would send our listeners down a very deep rabbit hole oh, on each one of them each one of those will take you down a rabbit hole uh pleasant to begin with and then increasingly <laughs> big holes in your pocket so you need to be careful about what you google even um so one thing that i find very um, interesting is uh, for me i've always treated uh, fountain pens as writing utensils uh, no matter how fancy or beautiful or uh, well made it is at the end of the day it has to write well it has right. to give you a really good writing experience you fill ink in the pen you put it on paper and uh, you use it properly um, it has to be a joy to write otherwise uh, there's no real use to it because i mean uh, it's funny that i should even have to say this but uh, uh, but the reason for being the reason that of a fountain pen is literally to write mm. and uh, that for me remains central to the whole thing so uh in whatever variations there are in the pen uh, where it comes from what it's made of uh, all of those things it still comes down to how finely or how well it writes um so for me it is quite utilitarian at the end of the day and uh, i I don't see much sense in uh, being a collector. Uh now a collector would uh, take a really nice pen and then they would have all the variants in it for example. They would if right. it comes in five colors they would have one each of all the five colors. For me that's that doesn't make sense because uh if I have one pen which writes in a particular way and I enjoy doing it uh, that one pen is more than enough for me. So currently uh that doesn't <laughs> that doesn't limit the number of pens i buy though and uh, <laughs> while i will not i refuse to share the total number of pens i have right now <laughs> i can show you just uh, my uh, what i carry every day is this collection of pens and uh, since you can see it i will tell you there that is five pens i have inked right. right now these literally go with me everywhere so that at any point in time i can use any of them so that's kind of um that's my everyday carry five pens so, so so i have to dig a little bit here uh give us a ballpark fine you don't have to tell us how many pens you have but what's the under over do you have more than uh, 50 more than 100 well i don't have more than 100 yeah and that's all i'm willing to say at this point <laughs> fair enough fair enough okay I'm more of a user. I kind of uh, make sure I write a few pages every single day. So that kind of keeps me in touch with the, all the pens that I have, right? Um and then of course what we just spoke about uh EDC as they call it, uh everyday carry. Hmm. That's an absolute rabbit hole by itself, right? And uh, if you go into the EDC rabbit hole, you find people everything they carry pocket knives or um touch lights or uh, yeah. you know like pocket books and uh, what have you right so my edc is uh, i'm not going to talk about my edc setup but i carry around five pens everywhere i go um are, are there 
a specific five and why those five or what's the logic behind how you pull together your set ah okay that is that is a uh an interesting question which doesn't really have an answer the five typically varies uh, on maybe a weekly basis um the five it's it there's hardly a time when all five get replaced by another five uh they just like one pen goes in one pen goes out and it's mostly by feel i would suddenly feel that i okay oh i feel like writing with a really broad pen this time so i would just pick up a broad pen remove one from my adc and put that other one in uh at any point in time i have easily about uh, 15 or 20 pens that are inked and ready to go uh right part of my collection so uh and sometimes you know a half a day would go in you know cleaning pens uh so there's a very uh, it's a very rigorous thing like if you want to take if you want to change the ink in a pen it's not as simple as okay you pour this in pour this ink out and you pour in some new ink no it's not like that you need to clean every single bit of the pen because uh, an ink is a dye and yeah. every little bit of ink will and ink sticks to different parts of the pen and uh, there are some very notorious inks that are incredibly difficult to get out of pens completely um i steer clear of the really hardcore ones right. uh, but most of the ones i use are uh, you know easy to wash out and then i have a very specialized uh, set of tools that i use to completely de-ink a pen and then put in a new ink so all of this takes time and effort and uh, you know that's also part of the whole charm of the hobby it really makes you slow down and this is where we get into real hipster territory right okay. now if you want to write something down with a fountain pen it's a, it's not a matter of just like uh, taking it out and quickly jotting down something and going on you need to sit down in a comfortable place open your notebook put it in front of you then you need to pick up your fountain pen and slowly unscrew the cap off it and uh, mount it on the back post it on the back and then you know gently write it write what you want to do so it it literally makes you <laughs> slow down it's it's not just a matter of uh, not like a ball pen or a pencil that you just pick up and write with right. it forces you to do all of these things um, this is like i told you this is deep hipster territory yeah. and uh, there's a lot of affordability in terms of time and effort to all of this uh but that kind of what that is kind of what makes uh, that hobby so alluring so your your kind of uh saying that you're in it for the writing experience right right you're you're not one of those collectors that will buy a pen and then keep it in a glass showcase all your life um so what it besides the slowing down what is it about the writing experience itself that so hooked you okay um this is uh, i love to go a little back into childhood when i uh, do all of this right right as kids there was always the school writing that we all did yeah um the that bit that you could never escape from and uh, you did hate a little bit i mean writing notes was probably like the one thing that everyone hated equally yep um but i also remember when i was a kid i used to uh, inherit these uh, unused diaries from you know your parents or their friends or mm. uh, the relatives or somebody and i used to for quite a while i had a diary with me uh, it was a one with a yellow cover i don't know where it went but it was with me for at least four or five years and it was filled with stuff i wrote uh, by myself i would write i would write stories i would write poems i would write general copy down stuff that i liked it was it was like a 
it was like something i enjoyed doing right um and there it was as much about expression as it was about the physical act of writing and then of course um once we finished uh, after uh, after i got out of college and after i finished uh, my masters that was probably the last time when we did any massive amount of writing right. after that work is pretty much everything on a computer you never uh, actually write anything so when i uh, actually started writing again in 2014 um it was it was a wonderful experience to literally put my fingers to use again um at that point if i wrote like more than a couple of pages at uh, one go it definitely uh, you know my fingers would cramp up and i yeah. had to kind of like decramp them and you know do a little bit of an exercise and all of that i'm 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 comfortable now i can write uh, you know a dozen pages without any problems today um I, so that's it's part of that that whole literally doing things by hand that uh, we do so little off now yeah it's i think that's part of the fascination as well and that's also the other reason why you end up with a whole bunch of pens is because different pens give you a different writing experience like there are the there are the broad ones there are the really fine thin ones um there are also the ones which are fine but then when you press them they become broad so there's a bunch of those wow. as well yeah and how does this note taking because it sounds like most of your writing experience is note taking how does it tally with the fact that you've constantly got a smartphone as part of your edc and you know you've got evernote or google keep or whatever it is that you use the notes app how does that tally it actually works quite well like um like google keep is a really good place to keep uh shopping lists on for example hmm. or um, or things you need to uh, or like an address yeah. for example that you might want to copy and paste into different uh, apps at any point in time but uh, things that you want to commit to memory or learn for example i i find it's really uh, good to just uh, take notes rather than uh, write them on a electronic device because yeah. the act of physical writing uh, places it in memory way better for me personally than actually putting it on a uh, typing it out on a screen so i think that's where it kind of uh, works for me um, and sometimes in uh, at times when i feel rushed or i feel uh, um i feel about mentally cramped uh, i find that uh, you know sitting down and just copying out a uh, few pages of uh, poetry or prose or whatever just that uh, a, a mindless devotion to you know forming your letters perfectly and uh, that repetitive act of actually filling out a couple of pages it it's it's a wonderfully clarifying experience uh, because when when you give all your attention to it you literally drive out every other thought from your head and so that kind of becomes meditative uh, so after spending 15 or 20 minutes writing and you kind of uh, put your pen down and sit back it's it's quite relaxing your mind feels much more at peace and calm clearly it's not a very uh, it's not like the obsession that you spoke about where it it entirely changed your life yeah um it it kind of made your health better uh, this definitely has its benefits it kind of is like one of those life's extras type of thing yeah. i mean if tomorrow you took away all my pens and uh, said i could never use a fountain pen again it wouldn't bother me 
that mm. much mm. it, i mean i would go on with my life so it's not one of those things that's like a part of my life but it's it's something i really enjoy doing and uh, at this point i don't see this waning very soon so yeah so that's about my fountain pen obsession okay interesting so uh, let let me jump into a few questions i've got right um from a uh, subculture perspective uh, i mean i i talked when we were talking about my fitness journey i talked about how there's a very active community that i could engage with and so on and um have you been able to discover any such community because there very clearly is a subculture around um collecting pens or using fountain pens so how has your experience with that community of collectors been aficionados yes like any any uh, such um hobby uh, fountain pens also has uh, a big community uh, around the world uh thankfully uh, today because we have all the technology uh, within reach yeah. you can be connected to communities in far flung places of the world uh, very easily so uh, all the communities i'm part of are uh, online so there are a couple of indian communities uh, very active um and uh, really welcoming um you need to navigate them as you have to navigate any community yeah. there are people with these people have a wealth of knowledge and experience and uh, they are quite willing to share any of that um if you need the help so it's been quite uh, i'm on a couple of telegram groups with them i'm on a couple of um facebook groups with them and it's uh, really good uh, there's also a very active uh, community on reddit that uh, right. um is involved with fountain pens so Overall yeah there is enough uh, human contact in that to uh, make it a social activity as well okay okay and you said they're welcoming um so t- talk to me about if if i were trying to get into this mm-hmm. and i promise you i'm not if you've seen my handwriting <laughs> i shouldn't um but where, where does one start where does one start collecting fountain pens or understanding and getting into the fountain pen craze well if you ask me i would say just start writing with a fountain pen that's like the that's like where you start right, right. because you know like i said the purpose of a pen is to write and uh, you will grow as you need to grow so at some point you'll hit something right you know okay what am i doing wrong why is this particular thing not happening why is this pen not writing why is this ink drying up and then you start uh, research online at some point you will be led to the communities themselves and then you find you become part of the communities you ask the right questions you get really good help and answers from the community so that's where uh, i would say i mean if you are interested in fountain pens the simplest thing you can do is literally go to your stationery your local stationery shop buy a fountain pen for 10 rupees and a bottle of ink for 12 rupees and just get started that's right. that's all there is to it right um so let's let's do a quick round of rapid fire with brand names uh-huh um what are your thoughts on hero fountain pens which ruled the roost in 90s actually in india hero fountain pens are a very interesting brand um they make some really high quality pens as well uh they mass produced machine made made in china but they do make really good uh writing instruments 
uh i don't think there is a single one of us uh, who did not aspire to have hero pens while you were at school um when i was studying my mom used to have a hero pen and i was never allowed to touch it <laughs> right so the hero pens were always aspirational that uh, that way when we were children uh but even now it is uh hero pens are like a symbol of a very utilitarian very um um you know you, you could bang them about and they would still keep working so i i respect that brand a lot in parker yeah parkers so uh so in the hobby uh, vintage parkers are much sought after um especially those manufactured in the us uh the current parkers are made by a bunch of subsidiaries in different countries uh, in india they're made by luxor so um it's just another machine made mass produced thing but again here's the deal right i mean they their quality control is quite decent so you pretty much will i mean if you go to a shop and buy a parker for whatever 200 or 300 rupees that they cost you're going to get your money's worth it's right. going to it's going to be a really well behaved pen it'll be it'll be strictly middle of the road it won't blow your mind or anything but it's going to do its job as a pen very very well so i mean there's nothing to uh, nothing to write home about but nothing to sneer at either okay explain to me why a montblanc pen goes for 1.1 million rupees then or 11 lakhs yeah that is one of the cheaper ones you're talking about i think <laughs> <laughs> okay all right see th- this is these are luxury goods and uh, like all luxury goods this is essentially what you're willing to pay for it um and a lot of these uh, you could you could pay good money for it and uh, use it really carefully and if you preserve it really well uh, you or your heirs could probably sell it for quite an amount of money at the end of it as well so these are these are finely crafted luxury goods they are uh, a lot of care goes into making sure every little bit of it uh, works really well and uh, they stand behind their products as well if you find something wrong with them they'll take care of it they'll uh, they'll repair it for you uh, that's the cool thing about it it's not about replacement it's about repairing which means that it makes the pen you know it gives it more character which right. means it's the same pen it's been fixed it's it works really well all of that but yeah i mean i do not think i would ever even if i had the money i would ever buy a uh, montblanc it does not make any sense for me i i think you've already answered this for me but how many of the people that partake in this obsession are investors looking to buy something exclusive and eventually sell it for a mass profit not many i would say because there really are no massive profits to be made here see you would you would you would not maybe you would end up not losing any money on it right because there would be somebody else who's looking for it and who's willing to pay a good amount of money for it but you would be much better off buying even like a even like a much less known artist like art from an artist than to buy uh, this so it's right. not much in terms of investment and uh, frankly you no know, i mean people know this when they go in right. so they know that you know if you pay a lot of money for a pen you could get most of it back well if you're selling or you wait for a bit and it becomes a bit more rare you could get slightly more but it's not like they're going to buy something for 100 rupees now and that you know like maybe 50 years later they'll sell for 10000 rupees no that's right. not going to happen okay um one last brand thing that i've been curious about and that sort of tangential to the topic you've touched on but you mentioned paper so mm-hmm. moleskine or moleskine 
Yep. However, that's pronounced. What's that about? Are they really the bee's knees of notebooks? Oh, well, um, Moleskine notebooks were at one point a very, um, it was a niche which people, it was, it was fancy to be seen with a Moleskine. Um, it's no longer that way because you have a bunch of luxury brands that have kind of followed suit and they also make uh, notebooks. Uh, and Moleskine also has become more um, mass produced. Um, it's kind of, you can find every niche has its own Moleskine product. So it's kind of just flooded everywhere. So it's not as uh, fancy as it used to be before. But they do make really good uh, stationary products, even if they are a bit expensive. So if your office is paying for one, definitely go buy a Moleskine notebook. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Daveen, thank you for sharing your fountain pen obsession. Uh, we're going to take another short break and then come back with a little bit of a wrap up uh, to talk about what our thesis is or what, what our inferences from the obsessions we've talked about today. Absolutely. And thank you very much. Back in a bit. And now we have Rishi with his diversion for today. All right. My diversion's a trip down memory lane with some updated information. So... Growing up in a small town called Aurangabad in uh, the Indian state of Maharashtra, one of my favorite, favorite treats was what was called a cream bun from Deluxe Bakery uh, without the trailing E. Uh, and I loved those things. They were just, a, you know, two pieces of a bun with a cream filling in the center. And uh, the reason I bring this up today is I recently found out that what I had been eating all my life as a cream bun is formally called a berliner a berliner i'm gonna brutalize this pankuchen is a traditional german pastry uh, similar to a donut no central hole usually comes with a filling of some sort and some icing on top but i was on vacation at a swanky resort in goa last week and these berliners were sitting on the uh, breakfast buffet i bit into one and it was like i was transported back 24 years now, here's the thought I'll leave you with. I have no idea who taught the head baker of Deluxe Bakery in Aurangabad to make a Berliner. But that's what I've been eating for 25 years. We have these even back home. So I grew up eating and we had two variants. We had the cream variant and the jam variant. So yep. we will have both. They're all Berliners, my friend. Ich bin ein Berliner. <laughs> So, Naveen, I was thinking about uh, the obsessions that we talked about today and sort of this is an attempt at sharing what I think uh, brings it all together in the end, uh, puts a bow on top. So, for me, there's, there's two observations. Uh, one is an obsession in terms of a hobby or a activity or, or anything like that is... Uh, when done in moderation, something that brings you great joy. I mean, I could 
uh, our listeners couldn't but i could see your face just light up when you were talking about the namisu pen or when you were talking about you know the the nitty gritties of the fountain pen um definitely we we talked a lot about rabbit holes and we talked a lot about how pretty much on anything in the world out there right now uh, you can uh, kind of fall down these wonderful rabbit holes where you just discover more and more niche knowledge and uh, that is a joy all on its own um i know that between you and me we share several passions so uh, we are both quizzers gin snobs uh, collecting gins something we should talk about in a future pod oh yes we should um uh, we are coffee nerds uh, we source artisanal coffee and drink it um but the the thing for me uh, two two key takeaways i suppose one is yes they these are obsessions and some of them cost quite a lot of money which you won't reveal uh, how much for you but i i can tell you i've i've easily easily spent 50 to uh, 70000 rupees on my running hobby over the last 2 years just shoes supplements you know t-shirts whatever else um but the joy that they bring you is almost exponentially um higher than the cost input um obviously some of them also radically change your lifestyle um and to be honest for me these little obsessions and uh, rabbit holes are what make life worth living honestly so i i don't know if you had a different thought oh absolutely i think uh, these are like we were talking about these are lives extras and uh, it is extras that uh, make uh, life worth living uh, everything else has a purpose right oh okay i'm going to do this because i will get this out of it but then it is these obsessions that you do purely for the sake of doing them right and there is really no end to it and i mean that's what makes it so fascinating for me is that like i was telling you if somebody took away all of these from me it wouldn't matter too much to me yeah. but then that joy that i have derived from it is not something that can be taken away and i guess that is ultimately the differentiator between the things that we do uh, that we have to do in order for us to you know live our lives versus these things that we we absolutely don't have to do yeah right but we choose to spend our time there and i think that has a little bit to do with it as well the illusion of control right mm-hmm. we choose to this is where we choose to uh, put our uh, talents and uh, time in and that i kind of think uh, matters a lot you know you 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 you've brought to mind another interesting point um a lot of the things that we are now treating as hobbies or obsessions that are the spice of life etc actually used to be either a way to make a living or a uh, life skill so running for example well in the hunter gatherer days if you wanted to eat and not be eaten you ran uh, hardly anyone needs to run to save their life or to uh, get them food uh, now but it used to be a life skill writing is kind of similar you you talk about writing with a fountain pen as an indulgence but to me we are at the end of a long period of history where scribes made a living writing with quills and fountain pens and whatever else they've got until the advent of technology made all that obsolete so it's almost like we've taken uh life skills and must haves of old and turned them into these 
wonderful things that we put on a pedestal i would go one step further right i mean if you look at uh, simple things like the some of the fountain pens that we use we pay a lot of money and we uh, treat very carefully uh, if you look at the artisans who are making them today like we, we don't have to go back into history like these guys today um these guys they they make them by hand and it is and it is actually a living for them right and it's not just fountain pens uh, we 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 know about weavers uh, who weave a whole bunch of these fancy fabrics and for all of them it's hard work that they do and it literally puts food on the table for them and it's enthusiasts like us who kind of are uh, we reap the benefits of their um, of their efforts so it absolutely is there i mean like there is a massive amount of um privilege which goes with this whole uh, ability to have these obsessions so uh, i'm guessing that we've got a lot to be thankful for absolutely all right i can't really think of a better point to end on rather than to say we are thankful that we can uh, afford the luxury of having these obsessions uh, in our daily lives uh hope everyone enjoyed listening to us wax eloquent about them and uh, we'll be back in a couple of weeks waxing eloquent about something else so stay tuned stay tuned and see you then thank you for giving us a listen we are the banterman navin and rishi do check out our website banterman.com We are available on your favorite podcasting platform and would really appreciate a like. Do subscribe if we've managed to intrigue you and please leave a rating and a review or more importantly your thoughts on anything we've discussed here today. We await your feedback and are happy to take any questions or ideas for future episodes. 